really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So lots to get to this week. So let's start the show. So as always, we start with our current updates, and you know what? This weekend was actually a pretty big one for me, apart from the rugby. So my best friend's birthday was on Sunday. Uh, We joined her for a great lunch, several beers, and the Patriots game. Kind of wish we'd left the Patriots game out of it. But anyway, of course, the day before that, my band actually got a gig. Uh, ever since COVID hit, you know, shows have been few and far between for sure. So it was it was great just to have a chance to play out again. It was, it was super low key, but it was also fun. It reminded me of how important that part of my life is. So I've sort of made a pledge that I'm going to get back into the habit of practicing and writing. So, you know, wish me luck sticking to it. No, Isa, I'm afraid it is not good news at all, particularly if you are a fan of the Wasps or the Warriors. So the, the drama surrounding both of these clubs continues, with no clear answers coming in either case. Wasps seem to have offered to go into administration as a way of saving the club, they say, while Worcester have been given an ultimatum that gives them just until, I'm guessing, a few hours from now as I record this, to produce a sort of a long list of requirements to avoid turning into a pumpkin. So it's possible this weekend might have represented their last match ever. For good. I mean, this team, the women's team, their their academy, their developmental squads, everything. The lack of comment from the owners over the last week when the doomsday prophecies were becoming louder and louder was a very bad sign for me. But uh, not that I have any special insight or anything, but the silence has been deafening. Uh, I've naturally really enjoyed watching both these clubs over the years. It would be terrible to see either of them just vanish because of poor decisions by the people in charge. Here's hoping we'll have good news and uh, have both of these teams around for years to come. Now, come on, get it together, y'all. And moving on to our thoughts of the week. This week, you know, I found a really touching little article about a Welsh player who's on her way to New Zealand for the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Quoting here, Wales winger Lowry Norkett, who made her capped debut against Canada in August, has double reason to celebrate. She is headed to the World Cup and has bagged a full-time WRU contract for the remainder of the year. She follows in little sister Ellie's footsteps. Ellie Norkett played in the 2014 Rugby World Cup, but tragically died three years later, aged just 20, after a car accident. Lowry said... Quote, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest, from getting my first cap in Canada to getting a contract up to December to booking my ticket to New Zealand. It's been an incredible month. I think coaches reward reward hard work. And even though I didn't get a contract the first time around, I kept working hard and it's paid off. My fondest memories of Ellie are going to watch her in France in the 2014 Rugby World Cup when she was just 17. It's amazing. I'm going to do the same now. She's been my inspiration every time. I'm a bit lost for words, to be honest. My family and fiancé are obviously very proud, unquote. Wales boss Ian uh, Cunningham said, as a coach, I hope I pronounced Ian right, uh, 
You're always delighted when someone works really hard and forces their way into a team or squad. Lowry Norcott is one of those. She has come in, trained her socks off, and fully deserves her place. Abby Fleming and Robin uh, Wilkins also move from part-time to full-time contracts in line with all other squad players, unquote. So I know that friend of the pod, Will Owen, is already digging deep into the teams we're going to be seeing in New Zealand. I can't wait to watch and hear Will's thoughts. He always has great insights, obviously. So whatever I find, check your Twitters, because I will be sharing the crap out of it. Well, that, of course, brings us to our reviews, and it was the final weekend of the boringly named Rugby Championship, so, of course, we begin with New Zealand back at home at Eden Park to face their foes from across the ditch, Australia. They highlighted my guy, Artie Savia, leading up the kickoff, who was getting his 66th cap for the ABs. Uh, Also, the, the comms alluded to some sort of controversy surrounding the haka over the last week, but didn't say anything more than that. Could it be I was actually onto something with my little side comments in the last episode? And sure enough, Rico Ioane once again really leaned into it and even sort of lingered to do some extra trash talking after it was over. I'm starting to worry someone's going to target him. Uh, But then I remember Darcy Swain is actually suspended, so maybe he'll be all right. In any case, uh, it was a chilly night at Eden Park where the Aussies haven't won since 1986, a stretch of 22 tests. Very early on, it was another dangerous play by the Wallabies getting their eighth yellow card of this year's rugby championship. The comms clearly thought it should have been red, along with, you know, 50 or 60,000 fans in attendance. And yes, I know there were more than that, you know, in terms of butts in the seats, but there was a lot of Australian supporters on hand, which was actually kind of cool. So then, I mean, you had to laugh. Australia, surviving nine minutes plus of being down a player, got a kickable penalty, and one of the comms actually said, I'm surprised Bernard Foley didn't try to milk the clock there to finish out that yellow card. I, I mean, are you kidding? The rest of his life, that man will never intentionally delay anything ever again. He must wake up at night nowadays hearing whistles and shouting, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, I swear. With that in mind, naturally, it was a quick line out inside the Kiwi 22 for the Wallabies. Apparently, this whole red zone terminology has really caught on because the stat they put on the screen was Australia red zone line out. Uh, If you're curious, throughout this competition, they've won 21 throws with seven tries resulting. Were they about to add to that number? No, no, the answer was no. Marika Korambete, he almost single-handedly scored the first points of the match, but it didn't quite work out. The ABs were only saved by the fact that Will Jordan is stupid fast. I mean, you know, I've seen the guy do his thing many times, but every single time I see him, I feel shocked just to get a load of his pace. It's incredible. Part of it is, like, he looks like your friend's random friend who they brought over once and you can't remember his name, but put him on grass and he becomes a bolt of lightning. Just ridiculous. Anyway, after that, I didn't see what actually happened to Jordy Barrett, but when he appeared on camera next, he looked like Abraham Lincoln after a night at the theater. Not nice. I'm sure, uh, I wasn't sure they had enough Vaseline on hand to take care of that one. Um, Very telling stats early with Australia missing eight tackles, committing three handling errors and four penalties. All of this before 20 minutes had gone by. They must have been ecstatic that the scoreboard was still blank at that stage. So speaking of Will Jordan, it was he who would get the first try of the day, becoming the fourth All-Black to score a try in four consecutive games versus Australia. you got to love stats like that. Um, they even then sort of casually added 21 tests for Will Jordan and 21 test tries. Holy crap. So at 27 minutes, it was a penalty try awarded to the home team, along with the ninth yellow for the Aussies. Already got, got up clutching his knee. Definitely didn't like seeing that. It was 17 to nil headed into the break. By the 50-minute mark, though, they had poured on another 10 points, with their guests still finding not even a single one for themselves. Cody Taylor got himself a beauty at minute 53. I have to say, is this where New Zealand would fall asleep on defense? You know, obviously they haven't been the ferocious kill-em-all All Blacks for some time now, and at 32 nil, that just felt like a good time for them to switch off if, you know, recent history has proven anything. 
<laughs> then all my notes said was, oh my word. Once again, previously maligned by Rugby Australia, Falaufa Inga'a, he scored a try from like, uh, I'm way further out than any score I've ever seen him get before then. The Aussies were finally on the board, but then, of course, as soon as this, uh, as sure as the sun will rise, it was Samasoni Takiaho scoring another one for the home team. This man has to be on the list for World Player of the Year. I mean, he is very special. By the end, 40-12 was the final score. I'm going to miss having this competition for the next year, for, for real. Next up, of course, was South Africa hosting Argentina in Durban. The Springboks would need to win by 39 points to overtake the Kiwis at the top of the table for this year. But, you know, not entirely impossible. Argentina's defense was super intense, but, I mean, maybe too much so, getting them a yellow card for too many infractions after the first 15 minutes, and then within a minute of that card expiring, it was another yellow card. And I suddenly thought, well, 39 points isn't that big a margin if the other team doesn't score and is playing with fewer than 15 people, right? Anyway, cool stat on the screen at that point. The top five players who have played the most tests in matchups between these two teams... Oh, wait. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to tease that here and let you think about it and then get back to it later on in the show. So, hint. The top five include three Pumas and two Springboks, and four of those five are currently playing in general, though not necessarily in this match. So, put on your thinking scrum caps. Anywho... I was thinking about the math. The box were basically scoring a point every two minutes. So if that kept up and they continued to blank their guests, well, guess what? That'd be 40 points and a rugby championship trophy. What do you know? Well, back to the action. Argentina, they did finally get on the board with only seconds remaining in the half. And at the break, it was 17-7. to The rain came in as the second period began, and it was Los Pumas scoring first with Buffelli slotting the extras from a very tricky angle to make it 17-14. to Once again, Argentina went over the top on defense, giving away a penalty try, getting a third yellow card for the contest. Not good. With a quarter hour to go, Faf, who was in off the bench, he got a yellow card. Though I imagine it was, you know, it might have just been a, a dark brown card that he just bleached like crazy. Uh, they, they then showed a list of the last 10 penalties conceded, and eight of them were by the Springboks. Definitely some still, ho- uh, still some hope for the visitors there. Another try for Los Pumas and another crazy, perfect conversion from Buffelli. It was a three-point contest with only 10 minutes to play. Great stuff. However... Over-eager defense was the phrase of the day for Argentina. They got their fourth yellow card as their hosts scored another try. And this year's rugby championship was groggily headed up its way up the stairs to bed. An insult to injury try by the Springboks with the clock already past 80. And South Africa would secure an exciting win, but only second place in this year's tournament. 36-21 was your final score in the final match. And after six incredible weekends, it was New Zealand coming out on top at 4-2 with 19 points. Rainbow Nation next with the same record but 18 points, followed by an equally close pairing. Australia in third place at 2-4 and four with 10 points, and Argentina coming up last with also at 2-4 and four, but with just the 9 points. You know, I love to pick on it for its massively uncreative and uninspiring name, but the rugby championship is awesome. Year in and year out, so much fun. So, moving on to the Premiership, it was round three, and we had on Friday, Bath versus Wasps. Wasps seemed utterly unperturbed by the turmoil in their organization, smashing Bath 7-36 to after only 50 minutes. Bath was also down to 14 players at that point. Um, I missed what the yellow card was for, but I imagine it was for, you know, being really bad at rugby. <laughs> All or most kidding aside, Bath fought back valiantly, and the comms said, this one's far from being put to bed, with Bath immediately scoring a bonus point try to make it 28-36 to with a quarter hour to go. Belief. Genuine belief now, said the comms. 
Both teams, however, could only manage one more kick apiece. 31 to 39 was the final score, setting a nice 70 point mark to open the Prem. And suddenly I'm very keen to look at the point totals by competition. The numbers this weekend just felt really high to me. So then, starting the slate of Saturday games, it was Bristol versus London Irish. This one got really good, 26 to 24 after the 50, uh, 58th minute. I was pleased to see AJ McGinty's new team getting a nice home win in the end. Very exciting back and forth match, 40 to 36 at the death. Even more points, fellas. Uh, anyway, Northampton were up next against Leicester. This one saw the visiting champions leaving no doubt why they are where they are, winning by a whopping 21 to 41. Saracens versus Gloucester was an unbelievable contest. And you know what? I completely missed it. I see that it was 20 to 17 at the half, but by the end, there were only two points in it, 41 to 39 for the series. Really great stuff this weekend. Worcester versus Newcastle, and in surely a shining moment in dark clouds, the against-the-wall Warriors built a 15-5 halftime lead and then somehow just poured it on in the second half, coming away huge victors, 39-5 at home, and a woeful showing for the Falcons, to be honest. And then, oh man, Exeter versus Harlequins. Ahead of time, I think I even mentioned it last week, it looked like the most ex exciting matchup in the Prem for this week. So naturally, it was last. I mean, I honestly don't know if they think about that when they're creating the schedules. I, I frankly sincerely doubt it, but it often seems to work out that way. In any event, this one did live up to my expectations, and then some, with the Chiefs looking dominant in the first half, leading 31-7 to before Quinns came roaring back as they so often love to. After 80 minutes, the visitors were ahead, but an Exeter try with the clock in the red sealed the deal for an amazing back-and-forth win at Sandy Park, 43-42. to Can you believe it? And then, my friends, it was round two of the URC, beginning with Zebre hosting Sharks. It was a lopsided fair at the beginning with Zebre not, you know, not getting their first try until well past the halftime hooter, and the Sharks already holding a bonus point at that point. But to their credit, they kept on coming, and I have to say, Zebre, they might be exciting this year. Truly valiant effort uh, by them, though. They would fall in the end, 37-42 to in another high-scoring match. Then, Glasgow versus Cardiff, Cardiff was next. I'll start by saying... Not a fan of this particular Cardiff kit. Uh, that, of course, didn't prevent them from drawing first blood, however, though the Warriors would catch up and take a lead of their own around 25 minutes gone. And then, oh my word, just an awful sight. Glasgow fans must have been a wreck as Rory Darge was taken off the field on a stretcher. More on that as soon as possible. Uh, despite this loss, Glasgow seemed to really find their groove on offense, quickly got their third try, George Horn unerring in all three conversions as well. Speaking of George Horn, he took advantage of being the same size as a I guess a flash drive, uh, by the way, not a bad nickname, flash drive, uh, by ducking one in for himself. And with four emphatic tries, it was 28 to 10 as they headed into the intermission. And the second half, they just kept rolling the six tries headed into the final quarter. And then, man, oh man, it was Dempsey just tossing a Cardiff defender aside with a massive fend before dropping a sweet little pass to Thomas Gordon for their seventh. And even then, they weren't done. By the time the double whistle came, Glasgow had a whopping eight tries to Cardiff's three and 52 to 24 was your final score. For those keeping track, that means the first fixtures in the uh, URC this weekend produced 150 points, 155 points combined. What is this? Super rugby? Come on. Uh, quick update. Rory Darge's ankle has been described as dislocated, which appears to foretell a seven or eight week absence with Franco Smith saying it's not likely to be season ending. So that's as good news as it could be, I guess. Um, he's definitely missing the autumn internationals uh, and maybe the six nations. We'll see. Uh, but the fact that it wasn't any worse than that made me feel pretty good. So, Rory, all the best to you. Next was Leinster versus Benetton. The crowd was very, very sparse. A bit of a surprise for me. The Leinster Lion mascot was out, out there in full force. 
it was, was it like International Mascot Day or something? Um, Jakob Piper was in charge for this one, and while he's not my favorite, I've really had a soft spot for him ever since he got in trouble for posing for a photo with some fans after that famous or infamous, depending on who you were supporting, match in the 2019 Rugby World Cup. In any event, the home team did what they do, which is slowly squeeze the life out of their opposition, seemingly to be only, they always seem like they're just a little bit ahead, and then you blink and you look up and you realize it's been a complete beatdown, and today it would end 42-10, to 10. yawn. Anyway, next up was Scarlets versus Ulster, another high-scoring affair, though Ulster would lead pretty much the whole way, and they were up late 29-45, to 45, entering that final 20 minutes. The fans were in full throat backing their boys, but it looked very unlikely to me sometimes I honestly feel like my writing things like that causes teams to somehow wake up. And sure enough, Scarlet's responded in kind, making it 36 to 45 and then 39 to 45 only moments later. Of course, the visitors then said, yeah, we got your comeback right here. And they ballooned their total to 55 in just the blink of an eye. That's how it would end 39 to 55. Another 94 points on the tally board. What a weekend. Next up, of course, was the Bulls facing Edinburgh. And despite a yellow card, Edinburgh, uh, they were up 15-7 to after 25 minutes, and the new road kit? Uh, I don't know. I guess orange is just kind of a tough color to figure out. Anyway, I feel dumb for not noticing uh, Hossin in Super Rugby before now because he really stands out with Edinburgh now. That, that violent electricity of motion, like he's going to make you pay for daring to tackle him. It's very cool. Uh, quote, Edinburgh, with patience and persistence, crossed the try line once more, unquote, proclaimed the comms, and it was suddenly 15 to 14 with a hush creeping over the crowd, and they would continue, a fascinating second half awaits. Yeah, guys, I hope so. Uh, by the way, it was so freaking hard to tell how many people are attending these games, because it, it, you know, it looks mostly empty, but on the other hand, the, the place fits like 6 million people. <laughs> anyway, the Bulls, they struck uh, first after the break, and then Darcy Graham, doing what he does, grabbed a scrappy try through pure effort. I'm such a fan of that guy. He's awesome. Anyway, speaking of players I love, it was Bill Mata with a sort of a nut bar pass from his fingertips as he was crashing to the turf that would lead to Darcy Graham's second try of the match. And it was 25-24 to 24 in a nail-biter. Tries back and forth. Mark Bennett's conversion gave Edinburgh a one-point lead. But very long shot by Henry Immelman uh, went way wide, and everything was up in the air. By then, I mean, everyone saw it coming. It was Mornay Stain with a shot to retake the lead, and that he did, leaving 30 precious seconds on the clock. Consider your gut officially punched. On the restart, a dangerous-looking tackle brought the proceedings to a halt, literally with one second showing on the clock. They were going to take their time looking at this one, no doubt. But no card was given. Somehow the fans were still annoyed at the call, but Immelman again shanked it pretty badly. Definitely no quiet, please respect the kicker stuff in this stadium, that's for sure. Uh, but that was it. In the end, Edinburgh, oh so close, but going down 33-31 to 31 at the very end. Next was Stormers versus Connacht, and it pains me to say, you should check out the highlights. The try the Stormers got right around the 61-minute mark, I mean, it will live on. I'll just put it that way. Just freaking awesome. Uh, in the final 10 minutes, it was 31-15 to 15 with Connick down a player via a red card. And then, wow, I actually recognized a Sevens player. Angelo Davids, recently of the Sevens World Cup. Nice to see him out there. He's electric. So over three full minutes after the clock had gone red, Stormers finally smashed their way through once more to get the bonus point win, 38-15. to 15. Then it was Ospreys versus Lions. I have to admit, after my talk with Stefan Thomas, he has me really believing the Ospreys this year. Um, but this one looked like it was going to be tough. Only two minutes in, Alan Wynne-Jones took a nasty knock to the head and stayed down for a while. No HAA, by the way, however. 
Um, and of course, he'd stay in the rest of the way regardless. Great tackling and ferocious defense early from the Lions. But after 16 minutes, Keelan Giles already had himself a brace, and the home team looked in good shape. Early in the second half, Reese Webb had a bit of a brain fart, mishandling a simple ball out of a ruck. His opposite number snatched it up and dashed in for a try. Suddenly, it was a one-point game. And then heading into the final quarter, Ospreys held a seven-point lead. But as I wrote that, Lions broke through again and took their first lead since very early on. Ospreys had another shot at a penalty but muffed it just wide. And as the clock went red, they coughed it up very near to the visitors' try line. And that was that. The South African side snatching a one-point win in Swansea. Ouch. And then, of course, to tie a bow on round two, it was Dragons versus Munster. There was some serious weirdness with the replay feed, but I did end up catching the ending. Dragons leading at home by a fragile 20-17 to over Munster. Would they? Could they? Then, a mind-blowing turnover and breakaway. Dragons getting stranded, but getting a penalty with 90 seconds were kicking for the corner. The crowd was incredible. The place was absolutely on fire. Winning another penalty right on the doorstep with seconds remaining, it looked like a famous win for the beleaguered Dragons. 23-17 was the final tally, and the place was ecstatic. Just so good. I'm pretty sure I remember they didn't win at home at all last year, so what a day. Of course, if I'm wrong about that, please you know let me know and remind me. I just spent time trying to figure it out and was unsuccessful. But what a game and what a round. Okay, it was time to go back down to New Zealand for the NPC in rounds 7-8, Wednesday finished last weekend's round with Taranaki versus Counties Monaco, and uh, right off the bat, I need to clarify. A week or two ago, I said I'd seen the Taranaki mascot, and it was like a bull in the form of a grass Zamboni, and and yes, they definitely have that, but they also have a regular mascot, i.e. a person in a fuzzy suit. I don't want to be accused of false mascot info, you know? Um, anyway, the game itself was a bit slow to get going, as often seems to be the case with these Wednesday fixtures, but it was the home side scoring first, and by the half-hour mark, the visitors had already racked up six penalties. Not a great start, for sure. At the half, it was all Bulls, 20-7, to and it wasn't until the three-quarter mark that counties would score again. Technically, in fact, the visitors outscored their hosts 5-7 to in the second half, but that was nowhere near enough. 25-14 to at the end. Gotta love Wednesdays. Can we call these the hump games? Oh, also, uh, while Jesse Peretti had the day off again, the reserves list included a guy named Millennium and a guy named Crusader. I clearly need to spend more time looking at this stuff, right? Then moving on to round eight, next up was Canterbury versus Auckland. Right off the bat, we were treated to a a double bit of fun with the the Canterbury mascot making an appearance. So it's an anthropomorphic sheep, by the way. And then (laughs) the mascot ran into the kid who was bringing out the match ball, who absolutely wiped out to the chuckles of the player as they also ran by, none of them helping the kid up, by the way. You can't make this stuff up. It was amazing. So Auckland, underdogs on paper, took less than three minutes to score their first try, but discipline soon became an issue for them. Two yellow cards and a penalty try given away, and they were down 21-10 to going into the break. Alex Harford was exceptional for the home team in only his second ever start, filling in for Fergus Burke on the night. And I just had to make sure I didn't let an episode go by without saying the name Fergus Burke. So late in the game, a scary and bizarre scene where the Auckland 7 put in an egregious high tackle, but in doing so, knocked himself out cold, had to be carted off the field even as the ref was showing him a red card. Totally bizarre. On a lighter note, the comms pointed out that one of the players was from a place called Shag Valley. And I'm just going to leave that one hanging there. In the end, the visitors would leave empty-handed, falling 38-20 in Christchurch. Bay of Plenty versus Hawks Bay was next. And I have to tell you, the name of the lead official for this one was 
Angus Maybe, which is a phenomenal name for an official. Uh, in any event, it looked like Hawks Bay, to me, they, they've had the wind knocked out of their sails a little bit in losing the Rand Furley Shield last weekend. And boop, we're happy to take advantage, leading 20-14 to 14 as we approach the final 10 minutes. The hosts had a line out with only seconds showing on the clock, but massively overthrew it, giving their guests one final shot. But it was a long one. And unfortunately for them, Bay committed a penalty trying to turn it over. Suddenly it was a really near thing with the Magpies getting a line out of their own in easy range of the line. But uh, but to their relief, no rolling away was the call. The game ended with the visitors right on their doorstep, a tense but huge win for the home team. Next, of course, was Tasman versus Northland. This one had big implications for both teams. As described by the comms, win today and you're the master of your own destiny. Lose and you're handing your fate to others. And, you know, maybe that kind of stuff is trite and, uh, and or silly, but it worked. I was pretty psyched up. I was interested to learn Tasman have won nine of their last 12 meetings uh, with Northland in the NPC. And also, you all know how I love random pregame stuff. And for this one... <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. They had the ball delivered via helicopter, which landed in the middle of the pitch. I can just picture the groundskeepers being like, what the F? Uh, anyway, both teams were slow to get it going. No scoring until just after 20 minutes had gone by. But I don't know. That was the Mako's spark, apparently, because then they just started to run away with it, taking a big 21-3 lead into the locker room. Northland wouldn't get their first try until more than 50 minutes had gone by. And by then it was 31 to 10 and looking grim for the visitors. Getting yellow carded with only 10 minutes left to go didn't help their cause either. And by the end, it was a bit of a walkover. The home side prevailing in a big way, 52 to 17. The match of the week, of course, in the NPC had to be Wellington versus Waikato for the new holders first ran for early uh, shield defense. And apologies if you were kind of waiting for that one because I am saving it. Anyway, then it was Manawatu versus Otago. Otago really put down a marker in this one, nearly doubling up their hosts, 35 to 54. Holy cow, that's a lot of points. And then North Harbor versus Taranaki. This one I actually missed entirely, but uh, it looked like Harbor was in control the whole way, winning 35 to 19 on what appeared to be a gorgeous day. Finally, it was Southland versus Counties Monaco. And with Counties having played on Wednesday, this looked like it might be the Stags' best opportunity to get a win. I naturally was rooting for them. They actually took a lead into the half, but it was a very near thing, just 10-5 to 5 despite a red card. There were some great shots, by the way, of drunk fans. I love that. Uh, there was many people uh, in evidence that day who definitely started really early on Sunday morning. Anyway, sadly, the counties found their groove in the second half, and when the final quarter began, they'd been doubled up 13-26 to 26 and were seemingly out of gas, but then... Just as I was ready to give up on them, they scored twice in short order, found themselves retaking the narrowest of leads, 27-26, to 26, with only five minutes to go. Come on, Stags! They added a penalty as the clock went red, and Southland, they got their first win in almost a full calendar year. The place and I went nuts. So good. So, moving over to the top 14, and I, I'm just going to tell you, because of my hectic weekend, I wasn't able to watch as much rugby as I usually like to, and I'm afraid that meant the top 14 had to be sacrificed a bit. Uh, in the interest of fairness, next time I find myself in this position, I'm going to pick a different competition to gloss over, and if, if you have any preferences or ideas, you can always reach out and let me know. That being said, I did look at the scores and the league table. So, Perpignan versus Toulon was up first, with Perpignan getting a comparatively low-scoring win at home, 19-13. to uh, Montpellier versus Poe saw the visitors getting utterly smashed, 43-17 to by the end. Cast versus, uh, versus Breve saw not a single try, with the hosts winning by virtue of four penalty kicks to two, one for the purists, as they like to say. 
Bayonne played Bordeaux, and uh, that would continue the home winning streak. Bayonne edging out their guests 20 to 15 by the final whistle, and then Lyon played Stade Francais. I was surprised to see Lyon getting a positive result over one of the Parisian teams, 33 to 27 in that one. And then Toulouse versus Racing was your penultimate match of the round. My comments about Racing being unpredictable this year look more true by the week. Toulouse winning big, 37 to 10. And then finally, Claremont versus La Rochelle, where the home team uh, completed an entire round of home victories, 22 to 13. Wow, that, that almost never happens. Not one single road team won this weekend, but I do recall that's something I've heard about this particular competition kind of a lot, in fact. So I guess it was not an exaggeration after all. Interesting stuff. Okay, finally, for this weekend, we'll look at the Super 6. Sterling versus Watsonians was your Friday fixture. The winless Wolves stuck with what they know best, which is losing rugby matches. Uh, they did manage 21 points at home, but Watsonians dropped 33. I'm officially rooting for them to get on the, in the, uh, the W column. Come on, let's go, Silver Puppies. Anyway, Harriet's Rugby was up next against Boromir Bears. I'm pleased to say my guys sneaked out a very close one, winning away over Harriet's 22-25. And then finally, Ayrshire versus the Southern Knights, where it was another pantsing, the hapless Knights going down big, 31-5. to And a quick table update. <laughs> I really like this. So my Bears are now third on the table. And get this, the points differential for the top two sides are 135 and 150 respectively, while the margin for Bormweir, negative 13. <laughs> That's an incredible stat for a five and two team. I can't even believe it. How does that work? Well, my friends, by that music, you'll, of course, know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to George Horn. Mr. Horn the Jr., the comms described you as using the full box of tricks today. But to me, it was no trick. It was just guts and talent and smarts. Your 17 points led your squad and your pesky never-say-die attitude set the tone for a Glasgow side badly in need of an emphatic win. Every week, it seems like an inordinate, uh, inordinate amount of criticism comes your way, and this weekend, you silenced every one of those people, really shone on both sides of the ball. Uh, okay, maybe not so much on defense, but hey. In the end, your performance was heads and shoulders above the rest, so congratulations to you, sir. You are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done. Okay, my friends, that brings us to our updates and previews. And in the top 14, for round five, we've got six Saturday fixtures and one on Sunday. They will be Bordeaux-Begle versus Stade Francais, Poe versus Toulon, Brive versus Bayon, Clermont versus Lyon, Perpignan versus Cast, and a real cracker, La Rochelle versus Racing, to wind up your Saturday. And then it'll be Montpellier versus Toulouse to round out the, well, the, the, the round. <laughs> Moving on to the URC on Friday, it will be Bulls at home to face my boys from Galway, followed by a massive Irish matchup with Ulster hosting Leinster at Kingspan. Nice one. And then Cardiff will be home to face the Lions. On Saturday, we'll have the Stormers at home for visiting Edinburgh. Ospreys staying in Swansea to tackle the Glasgow Warriors. Munster playing against Zebre at Musgrave Park. Benetton at home for Scarlet. And finally, Dragons back at Rodney Parade for the Cell Sea Sharks selling seashell cell phones down by the seashore. Why did I just do that to myself? That hurt. Anyway, over in the Prem, uh, we'll have just the one match on Friday. One on Sunday with a nice four-pack of fixtures sandwiched in between on the Saturday. Of course, we've got Newcastle versus Bristol to kick, uh, kick things off. We've got Gloucester versus Worcester. I mean, 
theoretically. We'll see. London Irish versus Bath. Sale versus Exeter. Saracens versus Leicester. Ooh, that's going to be a really good one. And then finally, Harlequins versus Northampton. Wasps are thankfully off anyway, so we don't have to speculate about their fate for at least another week, I'd say. And then for the NPC down in New Zealand, we'll have our lovely little Wednesday fixture featuring boop, facing Northland. That will close out the current round. And moving on to the next, it will be Hawks Bay versus Tasman on Friday. The Compass Clash of Southland versus North Harbour on Saturday, along with Auckland versus Taranaki, Otago versus Canterbury, and then on Sunday, it will be Counties Monaco versus Wellington, Northland versus Manawatu, and finally, Waikato hosting Bay of Plenty, who will be pretty exhausted by that point. Oh yes, and the answer to our little trivia earlier. Which five players have the most caps in tests between Argentina and South Africa? The answers are Etzebeth with 19, Matera with 18, Matuarira, the beast himself, tied with Lavanini at 17, and a player who would now hold the record if he hadn't been injured for this BNRC, you guessed it, Nick Sanchez. Ah, I miss that dude. my friends, that does it for another week. Man, oh man, there's just so much to cover right now. Again, I do apologize for giving the top 14 short shrift this week. I promise I'll try to do better in that regard. Also, as I keep mentioning, if there's something you'd like me to concentrate on more fully, please just get in touch and let me know. Everyone who's done so thus far, I think, has been very happy with my responses. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.